Well, good morning again, church. Thank you so much for gathering uh, here. Thanks for bringing the church into this sanctuary this morning. For those of you that are gathered for Crosspoint at home, thanks for bringing the church into your living room or dining room or wherever you happen to be watching. And if you're somebody that's new to Crosspoint, I uh, just want to introduce myself. My name is Jamie. It is my joy. It's my privilege to be one of the pastors here at Crosspoint. It's my joy to be able to open up God's word with you all here in just a moment. Um, but man, I have been so excited, so looking forward to this day. All right. I mean, not only for this service together, but we've got baptisms happening out on the lawn. Like this is a party. We can clap for that. It's amazing. So um, we're really excited about that. Um, There is, I I don't know how we've gone this long without having a church-wide potluck, but I'll take the blame for that. But we have our first church-wide potluck today. All right. So that's happening as well. Yes, we'll clap for that. Yes. We got all kinds of things to clap for. And then last but not least, um, we're doing a family style service like elementary age. So let's welcome the kids that are here in the service this morning. We're so glad you guys are here. So take some good notes. I look forward to hearing uh, what you got out of of the sermon. You can compare notes with your mom and dad. It'll be great. So um, we are in this series called Restore My Soul. And this particular line comes from the 23rd Psalm. In the 23rd Psalm, there's this promise that's embedded in it that the Lord, he's our good shepherd and he's the one who restores our soul. Because let's be honest, we feel this weariness, we feel discouraged, there can be anxiety, there's all kinds of things that we feel, right? And the Lord is inviting us to be guided by him, to be led by him so that our souls might be renewed, refreshed, restored. So it is a promise, but it's also a cry. It's also a prayer that we are doing each week together as a church, just coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, would you restore my soul? Would you meet me in the place of, of brokenness, of discouragement, uh, just all that's going on? And know this, I don't know the particulars of every detail, obviously, in your life, but the Lord does. He has you here. If you're wondering, like, you know what, is God at work in my life? One of the evidences of that is that you're here this morning. And so each week, what we want to do is look at a particular truth over against like what is a popular lie. Like there's a very real enemy that wants us to believe lies. And yet there is this proclamation that we get throughout the scriptures of who we are in Christ. And so this morning, we're going to look at this great truth. And it's this, that if you are in Christ, you are forgiven. There's an abundance of God's grace that you can never exhaust. And it's this movement we want to see from going from a place of burden to blessed. As we'll look at in Psalm 32, there's this invitation to the happy or the blessed life that our souls might be renewed and they might be restored. But the lie, friends, is that the burden is for you to carry. You got to carry your sin. You got to carry your shame. And if you're here this morning, you're like, well, I'm a Christian. The reality is we still struggle with that. Do we really believe that objectively, like past, present, and future, all of our sins have been paid for by Jesus, that we really are forgiven? And if we really believe that, how might that free us? How might it alleviate this burden that we feel? I love the way the late theologian and philosopher Dallas Willard said it in regards to forgiveness. Hear these words as we get into our text in just a moment. He says this, it is a wonderful thing to know that God is no longer dealing with us on the basis of our sins. What would it look like individually and collectively as the church if this truth came home a bit more today, that God is no longer dealing with us on the basis of our sins? That if you're in Christ, the way that he sees you now is the way that he sees his son, Jesus. That's how the father sees you. And so this morning, 
As Pastor Eric mentioned, we are gonna be in Psalm 32. I want you to have this in in front of you. It is helpful to have God's word as we go through it. Um, You don't need to hear my thoughts, my take, my opinion. Like we need to hear from God. We need to hear from his word. It is the only part of this service that is perfect and inerrant. It is God's word to us. And so if you brought a Bible, you can turn there. I would also encourage you, you can go on your phone to cp.church. And as you go to our website, in the lower right corner, you'll see that little foot next steps icon. If you click that, it'll bring up a menu where it just says sermon notes. All right, so cp.church. The text will be there as well as anything I put up on the slides this morning. There's a place as well to ways you can take notes, email it to yourself afterwards if you're so inclined. But let me read this and then we'll make our way through it. Psalm 32. This is a Psalm of David. It says this, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Verse six, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is God's word for us this morning. Here's what I want us to see. We're gonna look at the first couple verses and just see this depiction here of what is a happy soul, a blessed soul. And then we wanna make our way to some of the verses that help us see that there's this invitation, really, to be an honest soul, all right? Like, if we're gonna experience this happiness, this renewal, this restoration, there has to be a level of honesty about our condition, about our need, and then we'll close by looking at the healing, like the healed soul and what that looks like. All right. So to begin with, look back with me at verses 32 or chapter 32, verses one to two. It starts out literally by saying, blessed is the one. And then he talks about his transgressions are forgiven, his sin is covered. And then says again in there, blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. Those are these parallel thoughts that are running here. Just know this. This is the all caps version that the Lord is giving to us, right? Like when you get an email or a text and it's in in all caps, it's like shouting, it's proclaiming, it's saying this truth, blessed. And the way blessed can be translated is also just happy. Like David is saying, you wanna know what brings happiness, what brings joy, what brings renewal? You wanna have a blessed life, all right? It is found in the grace and mercy of the Lord. It's found in forgiveness. David doesn't say, you want the happy life, the blessed life? Well, be like me. I've got riches beyond my wildest imagination. I've got this palace. I got a little bell I can ring and people will bring me whatever I want. Like he's the king. But notice what he talks about as far as the blessed life. It is not the material things, though those things 
there's nothing wrong with it. He can give praise to God for that. But what he is singing about, what is causing his soul to rejoice, as he said, there is a truth that I have found, that there is a God who will forgive me, who will shower me with his grace. And as we'll look at more in just a few minutes, if you know anything about the story of David, he was a man in need of much grace. And so I hope you find that of great comfort. I know I do. That this word is not here for perfect people who basically have everything together and just need a little bit of Jesus grace sprinkled on top. No, this is for those of us who know we are so messed up. We are separated from God and he has invited us in through his mercy and grace. And so look with me and we'll circle back to this in a few minutes, but he lays this out and he says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered and the iniquity is not counted like against him, against us. So I just want us to see, as we talk about forgiveness, if we're gonna talk about forgiveness, you also have to talk about sin, right? Which is super popular today, right? All of you came here like, oh, I just can't wait to hear more about how big of a sinner I am, right? Like, it isn't what we tend to talk about in our culture. We are very, like, self-esteem, let's puff one another up. That's kind of the general vibe. But what we see here is something far more profound, something that's actually lasting. We have to reckon with the fact that There is sin, and it's not just out there, like it's in here. It's in your heart, it's in my heart, right? And what David is doing is he's giving different words to communicate from just various angles what it means to be a sinner. Because we might hear that term, we might think about that, but just kind of like, well, yeah, nobody's perfect. That's kind of the depth of which we generally go. So let's look back at this real quickly, just so we have this in mind as we journey through. When he says transgression forgiven, Transgression, the idea here, all right, when he speaks of transgression, is this betrayal, it is treason. What David is saying is, Lord, I have wanted to be in your spot. I've wanted to be Lord of my own life. I've wanted to be sovereign. I've wanted to be the ruler. This goes all the way back to Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve reached for the fruit. What are they saying? God, I want more than what you've given to me. I want you off the throne and I want to be in the throne. That's my rightful spot. This is treason. This is betrayal. And so that is one way to think about sin. When, we, when the word transgression is used, that's what's being spoken of. But get this. When he says, I've been forgiven of that, the imagery behind that word is a person pinned down by a large boulder In some way, somehow, it is pride loose. It is pride free. Like, imagine that for a moment, that you're stuck. You're underneath the weight of this boulder. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm claustrophobic. I don't want to think about this, right? But like, you're just in that spot. And then it gets miraculously lifted off of you. Imagine that moment of like, I can just breathe. I'm free. Imagine in that moment how much greater appreciation you would have for being able to fill your lungs with air, with being able to to move your arms and your legs, to be able to get up. I mean, even if you're not an exuberant person by personality, you probably would be dancing and shouting and rejoicing at that point, right? That's the imagery here. We've rebelled, we've committed treason, and it's put this burden on us, and God has lifted that. And he also says this, sin is covered. The idea of sin here is that we have missed the mark. So one, transgression is about what we've done to God. This is also about our relationship to the law. The imagery behind sin is this. You picture, all right, a bow and arrow, and there's a target, and there's this bullseye, right? And you're pulling it back, and you're shooting the arrow. To sin is to miss the mark. It is to miss the target. 
and not just like, oh, it's slightly off center from the bullseye. No, 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 like it is just veered so far off. And yet, it says that sin, that missing the mark is covered. What happens to Adam and Eve when they, when they sin? They realize their nakedness. What do they do immediately with their shame? They try and cover up. They know that they need their sins covered up. They know they need atonement. But what God promises is far more than fig leaves sewn together. He's gonna provide the righteousness of his own son. Like that's what all of this is driving towards. And then he says, iniquity not counted. Iniquity would be a way to think about it this way. If we have transgressed, we've committed treason, we've sinned, we've missed the mark, iniquity is sort of a way to think about all the results of what's happened, what's transpired. It means this, that there is a crookedness, a waywardness, a perversion that is present in the world, in our lives, in our hearts, in our homes, in our businesses, that literally is like, all it's everywhere. That's iniquity. And yet, David rejoices and he says, guess what? It's not counted that all of that, like the ledger, right? You've racked up this huge debt. I've racked up this huge debt. And the good news that we get to celebrate today, the good news that we'll celebrate and get to experience as we see baptisms happening is that it has not been counted. It's like you getting your credit card statement and it's just saying, oh, you don't owe anything this month. That would be amazing, right? You would celebrate that. But it would go even further if not only did you not owe anything, but then you went and looked at your savings account and somebody just dropped thousands upon thousands of dollars in there. That's what this is telling us. It's not just that it isn't counted against you in that ledger. It's also that if you're in Christ, what David longed to know, we now know that we have this abundance, the wealth and the riches that are present through the finished work of Jesus. So, if you wonder, like, what's this psalm all about? At the end of the day, it's what the whole Bible's about. It's about Jesus. It's about his work. And so that, my friends, is the happy soul. Now, let's look at what it takes to experience that. And it needs to be in honesty. So look back with me, verses 3 to 7. David says this. It starts out, and he says, for when I kept silent. There's something about the human condition and the human heart, if we're honest, and this whole section is in essence about how difficult it is for us to be honest, but if we could be honest for a moment, I think we would all admit that we like to keep silent about this. And maybe the most we'll do is to just say, yeah, I'm not perfect, but nobody is, and we just kind of excuse it that way. David is talking about a time here when he kept silent, when he did not bring before the Lord the ways that he had messed up, the ways that he had sinned, perhaps out of fear, perhaps out of pride. There's a lot of things that can keep us, but it's not just a problem for David because I keep silent. And if you're honest, you keep silent as well. But the more we keep silent, the more then we keep just relying on self, which gets us into further trouble when the Lord is saying, will you come and will you confess? And in that place of repentance, of confession, he's not making you grovel. He's saying, you have no idea the grace that I have for you. But when we keep silent, notice the description here, all right? As you read these words, here's a few of the phrases that jumped out to me, right? My bones wasted away. So he's literally like, there's aches and pains. Like something physiologically even is happening is David has sort of suppressed what's been going on 
He's not being honest. And so it's manifesting itself even in his physicality. My bones wasted away. I'm groaning all day long. He's just like laying in bed. He can't even form sentences, right? He's groaning. His bones are, it's like everything seemingly is going wrong. It's like any male when we get a cold, we're like, oh, right? I mean, that's just kind of how it goes, right? But he's groaning all day long. Then it says, the Lord's hand was heavy upon me. He feels this burden. He feels this weight. And he says, my strength was dried up by the heat of summer, which we can relate to here in Florida because it basically is summer all the time, right? And it's like you're out working and you're getting dehydrated and your strength is just zapped. I mean, we had those times where you come in and you're just like, I'd like to do something with the rest of my day, but I just feel like I'm just stuck to the couch right now because your strength has been zapped. What David is saying is this is all attributed to the fact that he kept silent about his sin. He wasn't being honest. Perhaps you remember the story. I remember having to read this uh, in high school. True, if we're being honest, I actually didn't read it in high school. Um, Thank you, Cliff, and your notes, okay? But anyway, um, but later on, maybe out of a sense of guilt, I was like, oh, maybe these books were recommended for a reason. So I actually began like binge reading all the things I was supposed to read like in high school and I got caught up, all right? So I I feel good now. But anyway, I remember going back and and reading uh, this particular book. You might be familiar with it. That's called The Scarlet Letter. And in the Scarlet Letter, it tells the story of this, uh, this like New England town, um, this, this town, basically it's this puritanical uh, town, all right? And the town is just going about, all right? But in a small town, everybody talks about everybody, right? And there's this woman named Hester. And if you know the story of Hester, you know she ends up having a baby, but it's unknown like who the dad is, right? And so this woman is publicly shamed, She is brought on kind of this scaffolding in the center of town. She's meant to stand there for hours on end just so that everyone passed by would just know, oh, yeah, look what she did. She did, but there's also a guy, right? And so it's like, what about him? And for her, she has to wear this scarlet letter, like literally attached to her clothing everywhere that she would go. So anytime she would go into town, everyone would know that's her. And her sin would always be before her. But the way Nathaniel Hawthorne tells the story, it's fascinating, is as you, as you read it, right? And it is a little bit of a spoiler alert, but it's been out for like 150 years, so all right, it's, it's fine, I guess, um, that you learn that, oh, the father of this child that she has is the local pastor. It's a pastor in this town, Reverend Dimsdale. And people began noticing, like David's talking about, when he kept silent, his bones began to waste away. That there was something about his countenance, there was something about just his physical makeup, there's something that was observable. And so Hawthorne describes it this way. Look at his words, talking about this reverend who was not being honest with all this difference of opinion as to the cause of his decline, meaning all the people were talking about it. There could be no question of the fact. His form grew emaciated. His voice, though still rich and sweet, had a certain melancholy prophecy of decay in it. He was often observed on any slight alarm or other sudden accident to put his hand over his heart with first a flush and then a paleness indicative of pain. What's Hawthorne describing there? He's talking about a man who has suppressed the truth, who doesn't want to deal honestly. The man who is supposed to be preaching grace is not living according to God's grace. He's not opening himself up to God's mercy. 
What if he had really understood Psalm 32? That like David, he had committed the same sin and yet there was forgiveness and grace and promises that abound because your sin is never too big for what God wants to do. What if he had actually believed that? Well, David believes that. And so I think it's helpful for us just to ask for a moment, like how do we practically keep silence? And I think there's some blatant ways that we do that and I think there's some more nuanced ways that we do that. And by nuanced, it doesn't mean we're any less guilty. It just means we're a little bit more creative. And I think it's something the enemy works through. So just put these before you. And again, they're in the, the sermon notes as well. But at one level, there's just a repression of it. I did nothing wrong. I'm going to believe that I'm right. Maybe you, you know, would acknowledge a bit of honesty. Yeah, well, maybe I did something, but they did something worse. And so functionally, you live with a, I did nothing wrong. I'm digging my heels in. I will stand by this the day I die. I did nothing wrong. It's not my fault. That's present in the human heart. It wasn't me. So that's at one level. That seems more blatant and, and obvious, right? But ask yourself, have, what are you repressing, perhaps? Like if your soul feels shriveled up and like it's dying, right? And there's not this joy. Are there things perhaps that you're just not being honest before the Lord? You're not experiencing the grace and forgiveness that he has for you. But in a more subtle way, because repression feels a bit more obvious, I put these things before you. This comes out of Jack Miller's book on repentance, which I find incredibly helpful. He says that there's remorse, which at first glance appears like, Oh, yeah, that's somebody that, yeah, I'm remorseful. But behind remorse, which is different than true repentance, is this. I can't believe I did that. Do, do you know what the focus is there at that moment? I'm a good person. I, there, was just, there was just this moment of weakness. It was a little blip on the radar. I am fundamentally good. I can't believe I did that, which is basically saying, I can't believe that I acted like other people or like a sinner. I am fundamentally good. I'm sorry. Like, all right, just... That's not really who I am. When the scriptures tell us, no, 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 like we're all sinners, we're all dead in our sins and trespasses, we're all dead and we need Jesus to make us alive. Remorse is playing this game of like, I can't believe I did that. So when you and I are confronted with the reality of who we are, do we believe the lie that I can't believe I did that? When in reality, what should... Anytime I do something good, I should be like, I can't believe I did that. I'm a horrible, wicked person. I can't believe I actually did something good, right? Like only by the grace of God. Or this, very quickly, maybe the other side of the coin from remorse, we can quickly then get into resolution. I promise to do better next time. So let's not focus on what has happened now, right? Let's just move on. I'm gonna, I promise I will do better next time. And in that, it's not that it's bad to try and do better next time, but we miss out on an opportunity to go honestly before the Lord and to confess. And so what David does is says, all right, I got to this point where I no longer suppressed it. I no longer made excuses. I actually went honestly before the Lord. He says this, I acknowledged my sin to you. So this is the turn in the honesty that begins to take place in verse five. I acknowledged my sin to you. Now, many scholars believe that Psalm 32 pairs with Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is the Psalm of David where he confesses his sin, and I won't get into all the details, family-friendly service, all right? Um, But with Bathsheba, and then subsequently has her husband, Uriah, killed. David, this rap sheet on David, like, it's pretty severe. And he has to be confronted by the prophet Nathan, 
And David's like denying. In fact, David's thinking it's somebody else that he's talking about. And then finally, he comes to grips with the reality. He's like, oh, oh, it's me. Because Nathan says to him, channeling literally the love of God for David, he's like, you are the man. You are the one that has committed these sins. And so at the end of the day, we need to see what David is saying here. I acknowledge my sin to you. Sometimes we have to go and ask forgiveness from other people. That is good and right and beautiful. But ultimately, every sin is an affront against God. This is why David would write in Psalm 51, against you, Lord, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Which at first glance, if you know the story, you're like, uh, you only? Didn't you sin against Bathsheba? Didn't you abuse your your power and position the way that you demeaned her, abused her, right? You had her husband killed? What do you mean against you only? But David understands something theologically true, that every sin ultimately routes back to it's a sin against God. It's treason. There's no little sin. Every one of the sins in my life, past, present, and future, is what put Jesus on the cross. Like, this is a serious matter. Same with David. And he knows that ultimately it's against God. But then what begins to happen here is as he acknowledges it, he's honest with it, and he says, I did not cover my iniquity. He says, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. You forgave the iniquity. It's verses one and two. It's transgression, iniquity, sin. It's all those words again. And then he says this, therefore let everyone, verse six, who is godly, offer prayers to you at a time when you be found. What's David saying? Don't wait. Do not rob yourself of the opportunity to experience the grace and forgiveness of the Lord now. Like today is the day. Maybe today is the day for you to become a Christian if you've not trusted in Christ. Today is the day. Do not delay. Respond to the mercy of God. But it's also if you're already a follower of Jesus, we still struggle with sin. And today is the day for us to understand the gospel more truly, that if this boulder has been lifted, I am now free to confess my sin because if I'm honest with the Lord, I'm honest with you, here's at the end of the day, my standing. You may judge me. Other people may judge you as you're honest, but at the end of the day, the Lord has forgiven you. You have this rock solid standing. And so forgiveness doesn't lead to this free pass to just go do whatever you want. In fact, it makes you more aware of all the ways that you and I sin, and we more freely confess it, so we might more revel in the grace and mercy of God. That's what's happening here in Psalm 32. It says, offer a prayer at a time when you may be found. Today is the day. As all of you are well aware of, we lived through a hurricane not too long ago, right? I know there's lots of you that are probably still dealing with the effects of that. Um, that, I guess it was a Wednesday, right? Wednesday afternoon and then into kind of the early hours of Thursday morning. Um, and Thursday morning, I was awakened by my wife. She's the early riser in our family. And she's like, hey, you might want to get out of bed. Um, the, there's a, some water in our backyard. My mind, I'm like, there's, wa- there's been water in our backyard before. It's all good. Sleep is more valuable. So I went back to sleep, okay? Um, Maybe 30 minutes go by, I don't know. Uh, She came back in and was like, "Um, I I really do think you should get up. Um, uh, There is quite a bit of water in our backyard. I fell back asleep. Um, Third time, she's like, yo, dum-dum, get out of bed, all right? And so I get up and I walk out and I was like, 
dude, there's a lot of water back. She's like, I've been telling you this for hours, right? Like, and as I walked out, I'm a relatively tall person. I'm in knee deep water now in my backyard, right? Now, by God's grace and how this, for, for us, when the rain finally stopped, like it actually didn't get into our house, but it was this moment of like, oh, don't delay, go get the sandbags, put them by the door. Like, it's time to do something. David, that's kind of the heart behind this. Even as he talks about these rushing waters, he's like, don't delay. Why would you ignore this? And yet, there's a stubbornness. My guess is it isn't just me that's stubborn, right? Although I admittedly am. Like, I don't want to, I'll put that off. And he's like, don't delay. And then he lays this out so beautifully. He says, you are my hiding place. Like, this is what happens when we're honest. You're a hiding place for me. You preserve me, this is verse seven, from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. That's the promise that we have here. And so with this, friends, let's look, look at the last three verses. These last few verses, eight through 11. And see the way that we can experience healing, this healed soul. And I think there's a tension here, all right? Healed on the one hand of like, something definitively has happened. If you've trusted in Christ, how you've been justified, how you have the righteousness of Christ, that, that can't be taken away from you. It, you are healed. And yet we also have this part of us that's longing for ultimate healing, for Jesus to come back and set everything right. So we live with this tension of, yes, I'm healed, and I'm also in the process of being healed. And the way that works itself out is the more I'm honest, the more that I repent, the more I get to experience God's grace and forgiveness. Now, as I say that, don't hear it like this. Because I don't know about you, but I, I remember nights as a young kid, grew up in the church, laying in bed at night and thinking, oh, okay, I, I need to make sure I recount every last thing that I did so that those sins can be forgiven. That's, <laughs> let's just be honest. Like, there's no way that I could figure all of that out. So don't hear this in this, like, well, as long as you remember every last thing, and you confess that you're forgiven. But man, if you forgot that one thing that you said or that one thought that wasn't honoring to the Lord or that one emotion that, that was misguided, like, well, you're done for. That's not what this is driving at. There's this finality to the forgiveness of Jesus, meaning like what Jesus accomplished on the cross, you have this new standing. So this is what it's driving at. That's what it means to be healed. And so David in verse eight says this. Sorry, let me back up. David doesn't say this. It turns here. This is no longer David speaking. This is the Lord speaking. And the Lord says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do you, do you see the intimacy in the care of the Lord? Who would love David, David the adulterer, David the murderer, and to say, I will instruct you. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And it's not an eye of judgment and of disappointment and how dare you and you should have known better. It's an eye of affection and love and compassion and grace. If you, friends, are in Christ, that is how God views you. Sometimes we even get to a spot like, well, I know other people forgive me, but I can't forgive myself. What an affront to the grace of God because God's eye is on you right now. And as we've seen in this series, right, you are loved by God as you've trusted in Christ. And he says, so I will instruct you. I will counsel you. I mean, look at the care, right? And then the Lord says this, be not like a horse, this is verse nine, or mule without understanding, which must be curved, meaning like 
they're on their own. They're going to do what they want to do, all right? And so they, they need a, a bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. He's like, don't be like that. Don't be like this stubborn animal that's just like, I want to go there. I want to do what I want to do. I was literally studying and finishing up some of this on Friday in my home, home office. I'm literally in this text and I start hearing in these particular verses like something fluttering outside of the window. I noticed that there was this bird that just kept like circling and swooping back, back and forth and I didn't think anything of it. And then about 10 minutes go by um, and at this point, our dog had like jumped up, all right? It was like all on high alert because there'd been this boom, this noise. And in that moment, I was like, oh, I think I know what just happened. And I walked out of my office and I went out toward our like, kind of sunroom, which if you've ever been to our house, it's all glass, right? There was something appealing in our sunroom, apparently, to that bird who thought, I'm gonna fly in there, and then boom, hit that glass, was laying there on the ground, just stunned, concussion protocols, all the things are happening, right? I was just laying there, kind of chirping on its side. Now, I always forget to like, tell people how stories resolve. The bird was okay. All right, I got a box. I put holes in it. It breathed. 30 minutes later, I let it out. Free bird. Right? It was amazing. All right? So it's all good. But just think about it. It's a picture. And I did send my kids a video, my whole family, on the, the group chat. I was, I was like, be proud of me. I just saved an animal. All right? But anyway, um, that is a picture, though, of just like, well, that looks appealing. I'm going to go for that. Right? Don't be like that, what the Lord is saying. But we get just set, I'm like, this is what I want to do. I don't want to listen. And the Lord is inviting us, be counseled by him, be instructed by him. Live in this glad submission and obedience, not because you have anything to earn, you've been forgiven. And you're invited into this whole new way to live. And this way, he still describes this way as he continues. Um, In verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Have you trusted in the Lord? This is what is objectively true about you, that you have this steadfast love, this covenantal love and faithfulness that you are surrounded by, you are enveloped by, you are brought into. When we see people after the service get into the baptismal waters, the waters aren't saving them, all right? It's just tap water. Like, But what it is is this picture that they have been enveloped by the steadfast love of the Lord. They've been immersed into God's grace. They're identifying with this story of forgiveness and of mercy and of love, and anybody can get in on this. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter what's going on currently or what you will do in the future if you've trusted in Christ's whole new identity, the one who trusts in the Lord. This is what David is saying. And now, we'll close with this, all right? The last verse then, there is just this picture of unbelievable rejoicing. I mean, this is party language here that's happening. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Like, be glad, be expressive, be loud, make it known. Like, I've experienced the grace and mercy. I'm no longer defined by my sin, right? God no longer regards us according to our sins. The Dallas Willard quote we looked at a few moments ago, right? There is just this rejoicing. But as I read that and where we need to come back to, to bring it back to the opening verses, the words you see sort of in bold there, righteous and upright. The reality is, on my own, I am not righteous. I am not upright. I do not obediently follow the Lord in everything, I am constantly in need of God's grace. 
And so one of the things that is so beautiful, it's what we, we love to just study the Bible, get into the Bible, immerse ourselves in the Bible. We see the amazing ways it's all linked together. And so there's this spot where the Apostle Paul, I don't know if you know this, the Apostle Paul, this is hundreds of years after Psalm 32 is written, he begins telling the story of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness and begins quoting Psalm 32. In fact, the first couple of verses. Because he's trying to unpack for us how can we experience this grace and mercy? How can we have this if we are not righteous on our own, if we're not upright? So I want to read this. This is Romans 4. It's verses 3 through 8. Look at the first couple of verses here. So I'll give some historical context here for just a moment. Paul writes this. For what does the scripture say? And he goes back to the Old Testament story about Abraham. Right? If you know anything about Abraham, father of the faith, right? All this. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Meaning he trusted in the Lord. It's not because Abraham was awesome and he earned the Lord's affection. No. He just simply believed and trusted in the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then Paul uses this kind of just argument that we can all relate to. He says this Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Right? Like, your employer, you get your paycheck, right? And they come and maybe they hand, I don't know why they'd hand it to you in these days, right? But just picture that they hand you your paycheck, right? And they're like, here's your gift. What are you talking about gift? I earned this. Are you talking about gift? Oh, you're all generous. I did the work. I was here, right? We get that. That's the way it works. Except in the scriptures, it says the wages of our sin, of our works, is actually death. So how are we gonna get out of this mess? Well, Paul continues and he says, So the one who does not work, but believes in him, who does what? Justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. So it's not by your work. It's not by what you do. It's by the finished work of Jesus. And if you've trusted in him, you get his righteousness. Not only are you, it's not that you're just brought back to zero, the ledger thing. You are given a bank account that is completely full, inexhaustible. You'll never run out. That's what he's saying. All right. The the righteousness of Christ. Just as David, and now he brings in Psalm 32, also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. If you hear nothing this morning, hear this. Your works don't save you. It's the works of Jesus that do. And so Paul then quotes what we've just been looking at. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man, happy is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. The ledger, the sin, like it was put on Jesus. That he died the death you and I were supposed to die. He died in our place. He willingly, he did the will of the Father, though it would cost him everything. And three days later, he rose again proving that his gift, his sacrifice was acceptable on your behalf to the Father. He conquered Satan's sin and death. And one day he's coming back to set everything right. There is this grace and there is this forgiveness that is offered. See John Miller or Jack Miller in his book, Repentance, says it this way. Hear this quote. We're almost through here. The Father in the gift of his Son has put himself under eternal obligation to returning children, which means to repentant, to honest children. Having satisfied the demands of his own holy law, the father must, and that was through Jesus, the father must open his mighty arms and embrace every returning child, and he must do it every day. He has promised to do it, and God cannot lie. 
Will you and I heed that invitation? We just gotta be honest. What we bring is our sin, our shame, our missing the mark, our rebellion, our treason. And God says, I will take that. It was put on his son, Jesus. And you're not just brought back to zero to try and live a decent life from here on out. Like you're giving the, given the riches and the righteousness of Christ. And when you confess, the father is obligated, his very character, he cannot lie. He must look at you the way that he looks at his son, Jesus. He sees you in Christ, this union you have with him. One last verse, one of my favorite sections of all the scripture, Colossians chapter two, we'll close with this. The debt, the guilt, the shame that we feel, it has been dealt with. There's a finality of what happened on the cross. Colossians 2 says this, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, this is our condition apart from Christ, God made alive. You didn't make yourself alive, right? I didn't make myself alive. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By what? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, and get the imagery here, nailing it to the cross. If you could think of your list of all the sins, things that you have done externally, right? Things of commission, things of omission, things you failed to do. If you could see that list, which would be impossible, but if you could see it, know this, every last one nailed to the cross, the sin you committed on your drive over here, the sins you're gonna commit in the future, the sins you committed last week, every single one of them nailed to the cross. And when Jesus was there hanging on the cross, what were his final words? It is finished, it has been paid. And when you ask for that forgiveness, he gives it and you are brought into his family. And it is done, it is finished. Jesus has accomplished everything that he said that he would. So church, let me pray for us. I wanna give us some time as we respond in worship, ask the Lord to lead you in his kindness and repentance. Remember the grace and the mercy of God. And as Psalm 32 verse 11 concluded with, we're gonna rejoice. We're gonna rejoice through singing. We're gonna rejoice through this meal together. We're gonna rejoice as we celebrate baptisms. Like we're gonna have a gospel party because of what Jesus has done. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace, the forgiveness is made possible because of the sacrifice of your son. Jesus, we thank you for your willingness to suffer and die on our behalf. Thank you that you spoke the words that is finished, that you accomplished everything the Father sent you to do. God, I pray for all of us here that we would be freed by this, that we would be freed to be a more honest, truth-telling community, knowing that when we are honest, that's the space that Jesus shows up that we get to experience more of your grace and your forgiveness. Thank you that we get to celebrate that even with seeing baptisms today, just being reminded afresh, even of our own baptism, that we have been made alive by you, that we've been buried with you in baptism and raised to walk in a newness of life. God, would you help us to experience all that you have for us? And God, would you do it for your glory and our joy, we pray in Christ's name, amen.